You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. As a church, we've been working through Exodus through a series titled Grace Upon Grace. We're going to be taking a break from Exodus today, and we're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So if, uh, if you would turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible or new to navigating your way around it, Ephesians is in the New Testament toward the back of your Bible. And so Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at today. We're taking a little break, specifically in light of what Brandon and Garrison just shared with us to talk a little bit about sacrifice and sacrificial living. And so that's going to be the focus today. In fact, our main point is this. The sacrificially loved love sacrificially. So I'll say it again. The sacrificially loved love sacrificially. The other thing that I would say could be a sub point is uh, sacrifice is hard, but it's worth it. And so maybe you guys aren't aware of this, and my wife just brought this to my attention. I, I hope to share it anyways, but our family is uh, a resource family, and we, we have been for a couple years now. In fact, Brandon was our certifier whenever we came in. And just from uh, firsthand experience, both my wife and I would tell you uh, that it's been really difficult and that it's been really hard, but at the same time, if we had to uh, play it all back and do it all again, uh, do it all over again, we would do it all over again. It's been it's been worth it. It's been really difficult, really hard, but really worth it. In fact, I've alluded to things throughout this year that is uh, where I've said from the pulpit up here that uh, that our family's struggling or it's been really hard or it's been really difficult and we're just having a hard time staying afloat right now. What what those comments are in reference to specifically is our foster son who are in the process of, of hopefully adopting soon in the near future, but it's been really difficult. We've had them come into our home. We've had them leave our home. We've had them come into our, our, our home and leave our home. And so it's been painful. It's been difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can, even as I heard Garrison's story, just to, just to keep it together. And it's not that I'm too macho to crying from you guys, but it's hard to rerail that train once I start crying. It's messy. It's ugly. You can't unsee it. It's hard to stop it. And then if you guys laugh at me, I'll have to beat you up for laughing at me. And so, yeah, it just, it, it's a whole slew of things. So there you go. But that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at sacrifice and what it is to live sacrificially. And we, we have an understanding of what this looks like. We have an understanding of this even through various things in our culture, like baseball. And so in baseball, there is a, there's a play called a sacrifice. And what a sacrifice is, is the person who's up to bat will bunt. And what they're doing is they're bunting knowing that they're going to get thrown out, but what they're doing is advancing their teammate onto the next base in hopes that their teammate can get into scoring position. So they're willing to be thrown out in hopes that someone else can advance forward. So they're willing to make that sacrifice for their teammate. Maybe you think baseball is boring and difficult to watch like myself. Let's go with another example. Ladies, say you're in your happy, happy, magical, very magical place, land called Target, okay? You're there. You've told your husband you're going grocery shopping, but your husband knows there's hardly any groceries at Target. So you set off to go to Target. There's a lot of stuff to walk past until you get to that tiny baby grocery section in Target, okay? So you're going for a couple hours grocery shopping. You're doing all your stuff. You're getting all of your stuff. You get back to the, to the checkout. <laughs> you're scanning everything in your cart with the barcode to save $2. You guys know what I'm talking about, if you're that person. You're going through this whole process, but then you go to pay and you realize that you don't have any money. So the person behind you is willing to make a sacrifice to their checking account to say, hey, 
I'm willing to pay for your bill. I'm willing to pay for this in order for you to be able to check out and get your groceries and get your stuff. That would be a sacrifice they are making. If that still doesn't hit, we can look to Hollywood because most movies that we love are filled with some sort of sacrifice. For instance, take the end game. If you watch any Marvel movies, the end game, Tony Stark sacrifices his life to save the entire universe. Maybe that isn't a clear picture for you. In Gran Torino, you have this man named Walt. And Walt, at the, end of his at the end of the movie, is willing to lay down and sacrifice his life for his neighbor boy so that he can live. Another movie, movie that I love is Man on Fire with Denzel Washington, whose, whose role is played by a man named Crazy. And, and Crazy, at the end of this movie, is also willing to completely sacrifice and give his life. In fact, his life is handed over to death where he's going to go and be killed so that the young girl that he spends his life protecting as a bodyguard can go free. It's a massive sacrifice that's made. Or if you like Disney movies, Flynn Rider at the end of Tangled sacrifices his life so Rapunzel can go free. Beast in Beauty and the Beast is willing to sacrifice his freedom so that Belle can go free. Hollywood and movies are drenched in the premise and understanding of sacrifice. Why? Because the greatest storyteller of all time wrote this book. And in the pinnacle of this book, the zenith, the climax is a sacrifice, namely God's own son. And so we understand sacrifice. We can see it. We're drawn to it. But when it comes oftentimes to us living in such a way to model sacrifice, it's really difficult for us, really difficult. So let's read Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul, the author, says this, writing to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who welcomes us into your family. In fact, your son did all the work to make that possible for us to be adopted, for us to be loved for eternity. Jesus, you made the ultimate sacrifice. Father, we pray that you would move and work in our hearts right now to help us to behold the sacrifice that you made in giving your son. Jesus, to behold the sacrifice that you made in giving your life. Move our hearts, God, because we understand your sacrifice. We pray that you would fill us now with your spirit, that you would speak to us, teach us, correct us, exhort us, encourage us. Let us behold your sacrifice in maybe ways that we never have before and marvel at what you've done, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Main point, the sacrificially loved, loved sacrificially. Again, as I just said, throughout Hollywood and throughout so much of life, we can see sacrifices. And, and we can see sacrifices that are made. When we get to our Bible, what we have to see and what we have to understand, in fact, we're going to jump to verse 2, and then we're going to come back to verse 1. But in verse 2, Paul says this, these four words, and walk in love. You see, the opposite of sacrifice is another S word. It's called selfishness. We don't naturally walk in love. We naturally walk in selfishness. And if you don't believe that, just raise kids. In fact, some of you guys that, that have kids have watched your kids from the youngest of age. Like a, a newborn will be in the house and then the older toddler will walk over, look around and see if anyone else is looking and just grab its toy. For what reason? Just purely to grab it. Because intrinsically, there's this thing called original sin or that we have a sinful nature 
And naturally what we do is we don't walk in love. Naturally what we don't do is walk in sacrifice. Naturally what we do is we walk in selfishness. The reason why we have DHS, the reason why we have orphans, the reason why we have so many kids inside of resource families is not because we are selfless people. It's because people have made decisions and choices in their lives to say, I want my addictions and I want my lifestyle and all I'm gonna do is say yes to my own pleasures and my own wants. We could say selfishness is, is rooted in this, just saying yes to yourself all the time. The opposite of that would be learning to grow in what it is to say no to yourself. In fact, so many marital problems and relational problems come from the fact that we're selfish. You can sit down as a pastor with two people and typically what happens is both of them talk about the selfishness of the other person. Very rarely do they go, you know what? I just find that a lot of our problems are rooted in the fact that I'm selfish. They're, they're pointing to show that the other person is selfish. You put two people that are selfish into a house together and you get to see that coming down a little bit. We are great at saying yes to ourselves. And, and here's what I mean. Typically, we will operate in life by not walking in love, but walking in selfishness because we go, well, I'll, I don't, I'm not gonna do that because I don't really feel like doing that. Or like, why would I do that? I don't, this is not desirable for me. Or like, so I'm just gonna kind of do the things that I feel like doing and that I want to do. Paul is here saying, walk in love. What would, it, what would a reflection of walking in love look like? It would be walking in selflessness. It would be learning to say no to ourselves and learning to say yes to someone else. Because when we start to do that, we're actually training ourselves. In fact, I am never shocked as a pastor when I see egregious sin run, run its full course or, or people fall into egregious sin. We see marital affairs and all sorts of stuff taking place. The reason why is because they have a lifetime of just saying yes to everything that they want. They've never trained themselves how to say no to sin. And so you slowly train yourself. Yes, I like this. Yes, I want this. Yes, this is pleasurable for me. Yes, this is desirable for me. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take. I'm never saying no to myself. So when Paul says walk in love, we first have to understand that we have a problem there. And that's that intrinsically we're, we're, we're selfish people. And so what we need first, because if I just go to this and I'm like, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. It's the pinnacle of the redemption story. You guys are like, I, I, guess, that's, I, I guess that's good. Unless we realize how selfish we are and the way that doesn't just impact our lives, but it impacts our families, our church family and our society's life then we're not gonna necessarily look at the cross and the sacrifice Jesus made and go, yes, <laughs> like I need that desperately. But as soon as we start to understand that as we read the stories in the Bible, as soon as we start to raise kids and we see their selfishness and go, that's just a reflection of our own, then we start to go, oh my goodness. In fact, I'm a pretty selfish person. I don't naturally walk in love. I walk in trying to take care of myself. And so, in fact, we see where everything goes wrong. Our Bible tells us where everything goes wrong. If you go back to, to Genesis 1, you start to see this. You see that God is a good God and he's a giving God. God gives the sun. God gives the moon. God gives air. God gives water. God is giving, 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 giving. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3 and Eve takes. Why? Because it was desirable to her eyes. Act of selfishness. And then that spiraled into every selfish act since then. But we also see in Genesis 3, verse 21, is that God makes a sacrifice. What he does is he sacrifices an animal because Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and God's like, no, 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 those aren't going to hold up. Bloodshed's going to need to be required. There's going to need to be a greater sacrifice. So God makes a sacrifice, and he clothes them with animal skins. And then we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, sacrifice is a theme. 
Sacrifice keeps coming up. In fact, Exodus 29, 18 says this, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Exodus 29, 25 says something similar. Leviticus 1, 9 says this, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is just a couple of verses. We can see sacrifice made throughout scripture. What's going on? It, does God just love the smell of, of lamb coming up? Is, it, is, is there something about beef that just really gets God going? Do you know why these aromas are pleasing to God? Because a sacrifice represents this. It represents that God's righteous and justful wrath is being placed on an animal sacrifice. And the reason why that's a good thing is we want a good judge that upholds justice. But what it also represents is this, while God upholds his justice, what his desire is, is to have a relationship. And so the aroma is pleasing to God because the pleasing aroma means this, that God can dwell with humanity. And that's what God wants. That's why the sacrifice is a pleasing aroma because it's providing the means for God to maintain his justice and his righteousness while having a relationship with humanity. Look here. Verse two says, and walk in love. But let's go back and understand more about what this even looks like. It starts off with therefore in verse one. We understand anytime we see a therefore, therefore is a therefore reason. We need to go to the therefore and go what's before that to see what it's there for. So if you go back to chapter four, verse 32, it says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. How do we imitate God? Forgiving one another. Forgiving people requires sacrifice, and it's really, really hard. Sacrifice is really hard. Forgiving people is really hard. Have you ever forgiven someone who has wronged you? Think about that. True forgiveness is this, is if you do something that hurts me, I have to absorb the pain from that hurt. True forgiveness is not retaliation. It's not vengeance. It's not saying you just hurt me. And so now I'm going to do something to you to make you feel the wrath of the pain you caused me. True forgiveness is that I'm going to have to absorb the hurt and the pain that you just caused me without retaliating. That is hard. Think about one wrong that someone does to you. One offense and how hard it is to absorb the pain from that and understand what Christ was doing on the cross was absorbing all the wrongs for all of humanity for all time and absorbing that sort of pain. Talk about a sacrifice. That's why forgiveness is hard. So when Paul says, be imitators of God, in other words, live this sacrificial life in forgiveness, that's really difficult. So how do we do it? And why would we do it? Well, first, why we would do it is it says this, as beloved children. Beloved. This word here, if you guys look at it in the text, verse 1, where it says beloved children, that's an adjective. The English word comes from the Greek word. And what it's describing and, and, and what it's explaining is this, is that we have an unconditional love from the Father. In other words, we're not forgiving people so that we can be loved by God. We're not doing things so we can earn God's favor and his acceptance. We do these things because we are beloved children already. God has made us that. This word is agapetos, and that's what it means. It's a, it's a word that's an adjective that's a description that says this is the kind of love that God has for you. God's love is not contingent upon your actions. God's love is not contingent upon your works. It's contingent upon the actions and works of his son. So that when God loves us, he loves us with a love that is unconditional. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe, therefore, we can be imitators of God as beloved children? Do you believe that we forgive other people so in hopes that God might forgive us? Do you believe that we act in certain ways in hopes that God might forgive us? Because that's not how God operates. You see, Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. We go to God as forgiven children. We have the forgiveness of God. How? The end of verse 2 tells us, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, since we don't naturally walk in love, what we need is we need a sacrifice. We need someone to pay the cost for our sin against God. What we need, though, is the sacrifice has to be two things. Listen closely. The sacrifice has to be both eternal and the sacrifice has to be perfect. And so literally what Christ is doing is Christ's sacrifice, he was already in heaven. He had everything. The universe belongs to him. So he sacrificed his place on the throne, coming to earth. What was he doing here? Christ was living out a perfect life so that he could take that perfect life and offer his eternal life on the cross as a sacrifice to God. Again, Christ is God in human flesh who is eternal, and what we need is an eternal sacrifice. If not, what we get is a picture of the Old Testament where more and more animals are having to be killed. More and more sacrifices are having to be made. So what we're going to need is we're going to need a once and for all time sacrifice of someone who's eternal and someone who's perfect. So what Christ was doing is coming to do what we cannot do, live a perfect life in every way, selflessly. He lived a selfless life. He walked in love. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice on our behalf absorbing the wrath of God that our selfishness deserves. Do you know that when you place your trust and faith in God, that God sees you as a perfectly selfless person? Meaning that he, God looks at you and sees the life of Christ. He sees the selflessness of Christ. He sees the way Christ walked in love because he chooses to look at you and see the sacrifice Christ makes. In fact, the, I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says this, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Think about that. You are the aroma of Christ to God. You do not stink to God. You are not a stench to God. If you want to deal with sin, shame, and guilt in your life, what we need to do is encounter God and encounter the sacrifice that God gave in his own son. And know this, that every moment of every day, what burns from your life into God is a pleasing aroma. Like you, you, you can hear that, but you need to ask the spirit to help you receive that. That moment by moment, day by day, if you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the aroma that comes from your life to God is the pleasing aroma of all of Christ's life, works, and selflessness, and actions that he did. He sits next to God. It burns consistently on our behalf. The smell that's produced from our life is Christ's life that's been given on our behalf. This also becomes an aroma not just to God, but to those in our church family and to those that are outside of our church family. You see, we can be imitators of God walking in sacrifice because God made the ultimate sacrifice in giving his son. So the sacrificially loved love sacrificially because the sacrificially loved look at the gift that God gave and they look at the gift that Christ gave in himself and go, my goodness. It's like David says in the, in the Psalms, he goes, what is man that you're mindful of him? Just, just what is man that God, you would even recognize man. But more than that, what is man that you would give your son's life for him? The reason why it says to walk in love and not sprint in love, not run in love, this is a steady, consistent pace over the course of a Christian's life. 
You see, if I get up here and tell you guys, if you want to be loved by God, you got to make lots of sacrifices. And if you make lots of sacrifices and you sign up to become a resource parent and you do this, then God is really going to love you. You're not going to last. The more that you understand the kind of sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf and let that become your driving motivation, it changes. You won't be burnt out in a week. You won't be burnt out in six months. Your motivation is not, if I do this right, God loves me. That's taken care of. Your motivation is, I'm doing this because Christ made the ultimate sacrifice and nothing can change God's love for me. And so what do we do? What do we do with this? Let me just give a few practical steps as we're coming to a close. First, remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus was walking toward him? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a sacrifice in Genesis 3. There's a sacrifice on the cross. And in Revelation, we're looking back at the Lamb who sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb. Two, see what you can start to say no to. The other example of this is how can you die to yourself? Over the course of the last week, over the course of this coming week, how can you start to say no to yourself? Again, let me not speak hypothetically, but let me tell you about our marriage. Our marriage problems come from the fact that I, if my wife is doing something for me, then I will make a sacrifice to do something from her. That's not what this is talking about. That's conditional sacrifice. In fact, I'm not going to do this for you. I won't date you. I won't pursue you. I won't do this because I'm not getting this in this area that I like. And then my wife can come in and say, well, I'm not going to do this for you or do this for you because you're not doing this. And so both people are operating out of a view that's called religiosity. I will do this for you if you do this for me. I will do this for you if you do this for me. That's going to be fun. That is not a picture of the kind of love that Christ compels us. Imagine this. Imagine the difficulty if you actually did this. For the rest of your life, if your spouse never did anything good for you, never did anything loving for you, and you love them, serve them, and pursue them, you would have a glimpse, just a sliver of the kind of love that Christ loves and pursues you with daily. But we go, uh, well, they're not doing this. I'm not getting this. So start to ask this question. What can you say no to in regard to yourself, sin, anything like that, so you can start to say yes to other things? For instance, Do you have an hour to give of your life today to hear about the needs and what's happening? Probably so. Would it be hard to do something like this? Probably so. Is sacrifice ever easy? No. I would say it's difficult, but here's the thing. It's worth it. In fact, anyone could tell you who's become married, that's taken sacrifice. Who's had children, that's become sacrifice. But you're opening your heart up to love and a love in ways that you would never experience. Answer me this. Have you ever met a curmudgeon who's generous? No. Like, you meet people that are curmudgeons at the end of their lives is because they have a lifetime of saying yes to themselves, to their greed. What happens is when we start to say no to ourselves, when we start to live sacrificially, is our hearts start to reflect God's heart. And God uses that. And he molds our heart. The spirit has been given, our, uh, the spirit has been placed inside of us so that we can start to say no to ourselves, to say yes to other things and to other people. And the picture of this is our hearts start to look more like God's heart, a giving, generous heart. I'll I'll end with this. I believe the way that we can start to shape and shake our world and our culture and our society is by living lives that are sacrificial, by starting to walk in love, by starting to walk in imitation of God, by, by starting to just simply ask the question, what can I say no to? What can I give up? And by giving something up, it means I'm doing something for the benefit and blessing of other people and ultimately God's kingdom. 
I think those are questions that we should wrestle with. And I think we should trust what God does in our heart because our natural inclination is to go, I don't really feel like doing that or I don't really like that. Or, it's not really my thing. Okay, well, it's not all about you. Lovingly, I say that. So what can we do? I also want to just end with this. There's nothing you're going to sacrifice that is going to trump the sacrifice that Christ made for you. That's the one that God is going to see throughout your entire life and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I, I confess my selfishness and the reality that I love to say yes to myself in every way. And I praise you that the way you see me and our church family and the way you see the local church is not through our selfishness and not even through our sacrifice, but through the sacrifice of your son. Amen.